Can you hear me? Oh, good. All right. Good evening, Vespers. I'm really excited to be here with y'all. Uh, I am Adam Wynn. I teach at UMHB, and I see some familiar faces around here. Um, so those who have had in class or seen you around, it's good to see you all. So you all have been talking about relationships, right? Relationships and how to have good relationships. I believe the last time you met, you talked about friendship, right? And how to be a good friend and friendship. Tonight, we're going to talk about something related to friendship, but it's kind of a harder aspect of friendship. And that is, what do you do when you have a close friend that is a believer like yourself, and they are living in a way that is contrary to the faith that they confess? Living in a way that is damaging themselves, living in a way that is uh, harmful, sinful, etc. How do you deal with that? Do you deal with that? What do you do? And we're lucky that we have the Apostle Paul, who has written something about that, right? A little episode that he deals with in the letter to the Corinthians. And so I want you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And we are going to work through this text in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, all right? Um, and talk through it. And there's some kind of weird things in this passage. We'll read through it. I'm going to try and explain kind of what's going on in this passage. And then we're going to, I'm going to ask some questions to you. You're going to discuss them. And then we're going to talk a little bit more about the passage, all right? And then try and make it practical. So let's start off. We're going to begin with just what the problem is. So we're going to read the first couple of verses, and this is what it says. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not even found even among the pagans. For a man is living with his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Should you not rather have mourned so that he who has done this would have been removed from among you? All right, so what's going on here? What's happening this church in Corinth, at least one, now Corinth probably had a number of little house churches, but one of them has one of their members, one of the people that meets with them regularly is a believer with them, is having a sexual relationship with his stepmother, right? Yeah, that's messed up. And it was very messed up in the ancient world. Okay? In fact, Paul even says, this is a kind of sexual immorality that not even pagans engage in. And if you know anything about the Greco-Roman world and their sexual ethic, it was pretty promiscuous. All right? And if Paul's going to say, not even the pagans do that, what he's saying is, that's really, 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 really bad. Right? This is your father's wife. In fact, in the Roman world, this man could be arrested for what he's doing. Okay? All right. So that's the issue. And then Paul says, and you are arrogant. And basically what he's saying is, you're, you're somewhat proud of this, right? You're proud that you're tolerating, welcoming, uh, uh, allowing this person to be a part of your community. And Paul says, should you not rather have mourned? There's a more appropriate behavior. That's the, uh, your arrogance is completely inappropriate. Mourning would have been appropriate so that he who has done this would have been removed from among you. All right, then Paul's going to go on. That's the problem, right? They're welcoming this person. So Paul's going to go on. He says, for though absent in body, I'm present in spirit. What Paul's essentially saying there is, listen, I'm the leader of your church. I planted you. And though I'm not there, I'm still there. 
My authority's still there. And he says, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment in the name of the Lord Jesus on the man who has done such a thing. When you are assembled, so the next time you gather together, and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus, you are to hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. So this spirit may be saved on, this day of the, on the day of the Lord. That sounds weird, doesn't it? You ever been to church service where they bring somebody up and hand them over to Satan? I hope not, because that doesn't sound right. But that's what Paul says. Hand this man over to Satan. What is Paul talking about? What does he mean to hand this man over to Satan? Are they going to invite Satan to the gathering and say, Satan, we have someone for you. What's going on? Well, thankfully, that's not what Paul means. And what Paul means when he says, hand this person over to Satan, Paul's using Satan in the, in the sense of the realm in which Satan has power and operates. Currently, the man is being protected in the church, in the realm where God is operating. Does that make sense? Among God's people. And what Paul is saying is, hand this person over to Satan, meaning put him out into the world in which Satan has his influence. Does that make sense? Put him out there. Remove him from the church. And Paul says, for the destruction of the flesh. And here, Paul likely envisions that putting him outside of the community is going to create a hardship for him. And that's a little harder for us to understand, but we're pretty highly individualistic society, right? We're individuals and we don't all, we rarely define ourselves by the, by the groups we're part of or the family we're part of, right? And, and, and we can kind of, you know, we do things on our own. We measure our own individual success. The ancient world was totally different. It was highly communal, right? Everybody got their identity for being a part of a larger community. And what Paul is saying is, you're protecting him in this community. Put him outside your community. And what will happen if they put him outside the community? Is he going to find other Greek and Roman uh, people that are willing to embrace him and bring him into their community? No, because he's doing something what? That they don't even approve of. And so Paul is going to say, you're going to create a, you're going to give this man or put this man in a position where it has no community. And that is going to be hard on him in his life. And he's going to lose connections to other people. Maybe he'll even have some sort of effect on his business or whatever it is he does. You put him outside of your community and that will be difficult for him. And it might lead to a destruction of the flesh, meaning probably that might lead him to repentance and destroy the sinful desire and remove him from the sinful relationship that he's a part of, right? This will be motivating him. It will push him to perhaps leave what he's doing. Paul's essentially saying, you're enabling him to do exactly what he's doing. And, you're in, and by not saying anything, you're encouraging him to do exactly what he's doing, right? And it's important to notice here that Paul's not trying to be punitive, meaning Paul's not trying to just punish because what does Paul say at the end? He says, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. What does Paul want for this person? He wants something good. He wants good for this person. He wants his spirit to be saved on the day of the Lord. And how's that going to happen? If the church continued to say, no, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, don't worry, don't worry, it's, it's okay. Well, what's going to happen on the day of the Lord for this guy? It's going to be a rude awakening. And he might be a little upset at the church that just was like, don't worry about it, don't worry about it, don't worry about it, don't worry about it, right? Because God's not going to say, don't worry about it. And Paul is saying, essentially, you're not helping. Like, you're not helping this person. You're hurting him. And 
It's hard for us to think this way, but Paul's saying the best way you can love this person, this friend of yours, is to confront him and remove him from your community. And that sounds to us like, that doesn't sound very loving. But you understand what Paul's saying? If you don't do that, you're being more unloving because you're leading him to believe that it's going to be totally fine. And then the day of the Lord, God's going to be not, not, not okay. Right? That's the point that Paul's trying to make. One of the points I think we can take away from this passage is telling somebody that's living in sin that they're fine is like telling somebody with cancer they're going to be fine. Right? They're not going to be fine. Grace isn't saying, oh, it's okay. Grace isn't telling the sick person with cancer, you don't have cancer. Right? Because eventually cancer is going to kill you. And that's what Paul's saying here. It's not going to help this person. Now, Paul's going to shift gears right? He's dealt with the individual and said, listen, for this own person's good, put them outside the community. Now he shifts and focuses on the church, right? In verse six. And he says this, your boasting is not a good thing. Do you not know that a little little yeast leavens a whole batch of dough? And what Paul is saying is uh, he's using an analogy with with yeast and bread and you put a little yeast in bread and it's going to, and dough, it's going to work through the whole thing, right? Meaning you can't have just this little sinful issue right here in your church and just leave it there and it'll be fine. Everyone's contaminated by it. Everyone's affected by it. It's going to affect all of you. It's going to hurt the witness of the church. How eager are the outsiders, the Greeks and Romans living in Corinth that are familiar with what this guy's doing and the church that's embracing him? Are they going to be like, oh yeah, that's a group we'd really like to be a part of? No, right? It's not. So Paul sees this as something that's going to hurt the church. And then Paul starts with this yeast metaphor, and then he kind of sticks with the yeast and shifts into a metaphor where yeast is also related. He says, clean out the old yeast so that you may be a new batch as you really are unleavened. Well, what does it mean that they're unleavened? He's going to go on and say, for our Paschal lamb or our Passover lamb, Christ has been sacrificed. And now he's shifting gears into a Passover imagery. It Passover... Israel would sacrifice a lamb and put the blood over the doorpost. And this was a way of, of, of protecting them. And Jesus and, and, and Paul is comparing Paul to this Passover lamb who has died for us, who has atoned for our sins, and saying, that's made you unleavened, meaning that's removed the sinfulness from your life. And Paul's essentially saying here, be what you are, right? Christ has transformed you. Christ has dealt with your sin. Why are you now what? embracing it and holding on to it. It's corrupting you, and you need to actually live out your identity as the Passover bread that is unleavened, without sin. That's what Paul's saying. And now Paul's going to talk about who they should associate with in verse 9. Oh, wait, no. Let's see. Yeah, I think I know. Verse 9, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral persons, Now, not at all meaning the immoral of this world or the greedy and robbers or idolaters, since then you would need to go outside the world. But now I am writing you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother or sister who is sexually immoral or greedy or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, robber. Paul's talking about insiders in the church, not outsiders, And saying your attitude towards those who are willingly embracing those activities. Notice that Paul's not talking about somebody who happens to have a weakness in this area and fails, right? 
It's somebody who is embracing this lifestyle of greed or idolatry or uh, drunkenness or robbery or sexual immorality and is unwilling to recognize it's a problem. Paul says, don't associate, don't eat with those people. And then he says, for what have I to do with judging those outside? Is it not those who are inside that you are to judge? God will judge those outside. Drive out the wicked person from among you. All right, that's the text. Let's kind of talk through some of the major issues of the text. Now I've got some questions that you're going to talk about at your tables, okay? Uh, question number one. Is it up there? Yes, it is. Good. Okay. How might, so think about this. How might not, so, so let's take this into, this is Paul, this is a first century, but let's take it into your own world, okay? How might not confronting someone who is engaged in sinful behavior hurt them? That make sense? Let's talk about that. It's one thing to talk about. One question. Next question. How might not confronting someone who is engaging in sinful behavior hurt the church? Let's talk about that, right? In our world, in our time. And then my last question. Does anything about this passage bother you? Or does anything about this passage raise questions for you or make you feel uncomfortable or something like that, all right? So I want you to talk about those three things, right? One, how does not confronting someone, how might it hurt them, right, if you don't confront them? Other question, uh, how might it hurt the church? And then what questions does this passage raise for you, right? Like, Any problems you see in this passage? Anything in this passage you see in tension with other parts of Scripture you've heard before? So discuss. Talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> Are we ready? Okay. Um, all right. We open it for questions, right? Is that what we do? Okay, yeah. All right. Uh, so you've had time to talk about some of this stuff? Discuss? What questions uh, might this passage raise for you? Um, especially maybe that last question. What about this uh, passage might bother you or what questions might it raise? Uh, what do you got? Anyone? Got Kaylin over there. Uh, Kaylin. Hey, Kaylin. Hey. What's up? Um, so how would you deal with throwing someone out of the church in a modern day sense? Yeah, that's a great question. I was hoping you'd ask a question like that. Y'all ready to throw some people out of the church? No, <laughs> no, 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 that's not good. Um, it sounds harsh, right? I mean, what Paul is saying here is put this person outside the church. And how do, what would that look like today? Um, you feel comfortable with that? Just saying, hey, well, you can't come anymore. That feels, I, I, I'm sure to most, many of us in our modern sensibilities, that feels wrong, Right? Feels wrong. And, and, and I think there's some things we have to recognize um, the, about our context and Paul's context. And, and the reality is, is Paul is living in a time, again, that I said was highly communal, right? And Paul's desire is for this person to repent, right? That the person will be restored. So putting him outside the community will ultimately, uh, hopefully, be hard on this individual. They won't find a community somewhere else. They'll adjust their behavior. They'll repent and they'll come back. And the other thing is this. Paul, the, 
There's like, you know, five, six, I don't know how many house churches in Corinth. And it's not like this person can go to another one, right? Because Paul's in charge of all of them, right? You understand? So if today we tried to do what Paul says to do, Right? If we said, okay, well, you've been coming to Vista for a while or Vespers or whatever it is, and there's this issue that we recognize, um, I'm sorry, you can't come anymore. Well, one of two things is going to happen, probably. First, the person just might say, what? Okay, I'm done with Christianity and I'm out of here and I'm never coming back. You judgmental people, I'm gone. Right? Does that lead to the result Paul is hoping for in this passage? No. Or they might not leave the faith. They might just be like, all right, first temple's right down the street and go there until first temple says, oh, you're out. And they're like, well, I can go through about 600 churches in Bell County, right? And we're not networked and we don't know. So does that lead to the result Paul wants? No. And so this is kind of a tricky thing. But sometimes you have to realize that culture has changed so much that following a strict rule that Paul gave that worked for his culture, we might need to rethink how we apply that. Does that that make sense? We might need to think about our culture and take some of the principles Paul gives from this passage, hold on to the principles that Paul is giving, um, but then find a new way to maybe accomplish what will accomplish what Paul wants to accomplish. Does that make sense? Which is repentance, restoration, right? Right. so yeah, I don't, I don't think, Kaylin, it's a great question. To, to, all that to say, I think we got to be really careful about how we would deal with that. And I don't think just uh, kicking people out of the church is probably an effective way to accomplish what Paul wants to accomplish. Now, if we have something like church membership, and somebody's a member of a church, maybe we could say, listen, you can't be a member, right? You can attend, you can be here, but 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 being here means you're committed to a certain lifestyle and maybe you can do it that way. Does that make sense? Or maybe somebody's in leadership in the church and you'd say they can't be in leadership. There's ways you can apply this um, that might have some teeth and might actually do something other than just saying, we well, can't come to church anymore, right? It's, I don't know how to work. And, and, and we might just need to be prayerful and thoughtful of how we would handle that to encourage and motivate somebody um, to, to change behavior. Make sense? Other questions related to that or anything else? Anything? I got a question for you. How about this? You guys talking about this? Why is Paul telling us to judge people? Anybody talking about that? Why is Paul saying judge people? Anybody think of somebody else that says something different? Who are we thinking about? Jesus, right? Does Jesus say anything about judging people? Open your Bibles. Oh, this way. Open your Bibles. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Verse 1. Very first thing in the verse says what? Don't judge. What's up, Paul? Do you know Jesus? Because he said, don't judge. But this says, Paul says, judge the insiders. Okay, but we sometimes stop after the first two words of what Jesus says, right? 
Jesus says, don't judge so that you won't be judged. He says, you'll receive the same judgment you give. Whatever you deal out will be dealt out to you. Jesus isn't necessarily saying, don't ever make a judgment on someone. What Jesus is saying is be really careful when you judge anyone. Because when you do that, the same measure you judge them with, they're going to apply that to you as well, right? Don't apply a measure of judgment to somebody else that they won't then, that you're not willing to live under yourself. And then look what Jesus says. He says, why do you see the splinter that's in your brother's or sister's eye, but you don't notice the log in your own eye? Jesus kind of trying to be funny there, by the way. It's like an eye doctor trying to help somebody with a toothpick sticking out of their eye. Um, it's kind of funny, right? Okay, anyway, uh, how can you say to your brother or sister, let me take the splinter out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You deceive yourself. First take the log out of your eye and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother or sister's eye. Well, how can you take a splinter out of your brother or sister's eye without judging the splinter? Does that make sense? I mean, Paul, Jesus does not say don't ever judge. Jesus says when you judge, be really, 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 really careful. And make sure before you judge anyone, you've also already done what? Judge yourself. Examine yourself. And so I think some people read Jesus, uh, read Paul, and then they say, but Jesus is different. And I'd say, I don't think so. I don't think there's a the tension we sometimes perceive. Um, I got another one for you. What about eating, not eating with people that are sinful? Anybody ask about that? Not eating with sinful people? That's what Paul says, right? Don't, with, with such a person, do not even eat. Wait a minute. Who ate with sinners? Jesus ate with sinners. So what's Paul talking about, right? What's Paul talking about? It sounds like there's a conflict here, right? Wait a minute, but let's think about it. Who, who did Jesus eat with, insiders or outsiders of his people? Outsiders. Does Paul say you shouldn't be eating with the outsiders? No. He says, eat with the outsiders. I didn't say don't associate with the people not in the church because then you'd have to leave the world. Right? How are you going to engage a world with the gospel if you don't eat with sinners? That's not possible. What he says is insiders, right? He's talking about insiders. Does Jesus ever have anything harsh to say about the insiders in his community? I don't know. People that might identify as Pharisees, right? People that might identify as what, right? Does he ever have anything harsh to say there? Yeah. So I think when we look at Jesus, sometimes we read Paul and we can say, that doesn't feel like Jesus. But if we look more closely, I think Paul and Jesus are on the same page. They're not really at odds with one another. Make sense? Other thoughts, questions, anything else that this raised for you that we can talk about? Y'all aren't normally this shy. <laughs> Don't be, I'm, I'm not scary. I'm really nice. Yeah, yeah, question. We got the mic coming. Hello, okay. Um, what if you're um, on bad terms, say, with a person, but you know it's your responsibility to, let's say, like be accountable mm -hmm. with them, you know, because you don't want negative energy between you when you need to have a conversation with someone. What do so, you have to so say about you're, that? You're saying you're kind of on bad terms already? Possibly. 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 <laughs> Theoretically. Well, that's that's good. Look, we got this. It says getting practical up there, right? Oh, no, it's going to say it. Is it going to say it? 
Boom. All right, good. Well, okay, I, I got some practical thoughts. And the first one's related to kind of just that. Uh, let's put the first one up there. Earning the right to be heard. Here's the thing. When it comes to confronting someone, and, and now we're kind of shifting gears from what the church should do to kind of taking the principles we see in this and kind of bringing it down to the personal level, like your life, and with somebody in your life that you might feel live in some way they shouldn't be living or what might be. And I'd say a really important thing you got to ask yourself, am I the right person to do this? Does that make sense? Am I the right person to do this? Um, listen, if you don't know somebody very well and you're like, that person is at Vespers and I know this about them and they hardly know me, you're probably not the person to go over to them and say, listen, right? You are living in sin and God doesn't like that. And they probably will not receive that very well. And the odds of that leading to any type of thing that is fruitful or helpful or leading to them any way changing their life is really, really low. And, and, and again, so, so maybe you do know them really well, but maybe you're in a situation where you're on bad terms. Maybe you're not the person to do it. Does that make sense? Takes a lot of, takes a lot of wisdom to know. And, and, I would, and you might want to talk to other people like Sydney or other pastors here and say, this is a situation. Am I the right person for this? Um, and, and I think this is a really important concept. And by the way, I think it's an important concept in almost any time you engage somebody with spiritual truth, whether they're a believer, non-believer, whatever, is, is have you earned the right to be heard in their life? Right? Have you earned the right to be heard? If you haven't, then it's probably not your place. Do you have a relationship with them? Do they care about you? Are you invested in their life? Do they respect you? Like, have you put in the time with this person where you're somebody that should do this? I think that's true for a scenario like this. I think oftentimes it can be true for sharing the gospel, right? I mean, sometimes people like to just walk up to a stranger and I'm not saying there are times God might not lead you to do that, but sometimes it's not that fruitful because you have not earned the right to be heard in the person's life. And so relational connection is really important, I think, for uh, this type of thing. Um, so it's hard to give a one-size-fits-all, right? Um, but, but, but again, this is, talk to people you trust and respect and say, this is how I'm feeling. Am I the right person to do this? I've, I don't know. This is what's going on. And, and get to seek, seek counsel and wisdom in that, I think, and lay out kind of what's going on. Who knows? Maybe you are, or maybe you're not. And uh, I think that's really important. Questions about that? That's my first piece of practical advice. And you just set it up just like a, what was it? that was beautiful. Right? You're welcome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Before I move on to my next one, I'll just, any other questions? Any other things you're thinking about or related to that? Or All right. Well, my next piece of practical advice, is it up there? Yeah. All right. When you confront somebody, don't be a jerk, right? Don't be a jerk. Be gentle. Be compassionate. Confront somebody with care. Be tactful, right? Uh, uh, maybe don't do it in a public place <laughs> or a whole bunch of other people are there or in the middle of Vespers, you know, or something like that. In the middle of the small group, you're like, you, I've earned the right to be heard in your life and you're going to hear from me now. That's probably not the best way to do it. Right? Don't do that. Yeah. Be wise and communicate care and concern and love and friendship. 
you're going to have a much better, uh, well, a higher likelihood of a positive response if you do that, right? Uh, you know, try, try and embody how you think Jesus might do it. Right? I think that's important. How you do it matters. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I would just add, it's always helpful to ask questions and not just assume um, right. Try and understand where they're coming from, too, in a situation when you're confronting someone. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Like, maybe start by asking questions, not by accusing or, right? But, but just kind of, yeah, more natural. That's like, yeah, that's good advice. Listen to her. That's excellent. Anybody else have other thoughts on that? Like other practice? Listen, I don't have, listen, I teach the New Testament. I'm not a relationship expert. So anybody have anything else? They're like, well, what about this? Share it. Could all learn from each other. All right, my last thing is this. Don't be surprised at a negative outcome. Right? Some people don't like to be confronted with sin in their life. Most people, nobody does, let's say that. Nobody does. And some people won't receive it well. Me and my wife have been married now for 22 years, and we've had a number of friends and friendships um, that sometimes not even as a result of confrontation, but just simply because of our the way we live, certain people, because they've made choices not to live that way, have just disconnected from us. My wife is a, I'm not a very good confronter. I'm terrible. If you know the Enneagram, I'm a nine. I'm just like, well, I, wanna, I want peace, 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 and peace. My wife's a one, and she's like, let's do this, right? And my wife will speak truth to you, even if it hurts. She likes to have hard conversations. I'm like, let's not do that now or ever. But anyway, and, and, and my, she'd be able to speak well to this. And sometimes relationships end. But there are also times when there's fruit from it. And sometimes that fruit doesn't come right away. Sometimes that fruit comes five years down the road, right? Maybe 10 years down the road. And that might be a strained relationship or a non-existent relationship for a while. And you got to be ready and understand that's realistic. Maybe it'll be beautiful and wonderful and you'll have prayed about it and you'll talk to the person and they'll just uh, break down and start crying and be like, you're right and I'm going to change now. Praise the Lord. That'd be amazing. Right? But it might not happen that way and they might be angry at you and they might not ever want to talk to you again until 10 years down the road when God convicts their heart. Right? So just be ready. That's be realistic. It might not change. It might not ever change. That doesn't mean telling the person with cancer they don't have cancer is the right way to go. Right? I think one of the key principles we take away from 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is the church can't just pretend like sin doesn't exist and ignore it. And if you love somebody, you can't do that, right? Paul is basically saying, you're not helping this person. And so it's one of our obligations. And by the way, if you're on the other side and somebody confronts you, what I'd say is if you're deciding to participate in the church, you are submitting yourself to the life of the church. And you're submitting yourself to the authority of scripture and the authority of the leadership in the church and we're kind of all doing that when we come here. And so maybe somebody comes to you. I just say, have ears to hear. 
and, 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 and listen and say, oh, maybe that is a problem in my life I need to deal with. Does that make sense? But let's be realistic. Not everybody's going to do that. It might always happen. Other thoughts and questions about this? Ideas. That's all the practical advice I have for you. Let me close this in prayer. God, we thank you for this night. I thank you for these students that are here. I thank you for the desire to know you, to grow in you, um, to be more conformed to the likeness of your son. God, I thank you for relationships and friendship. We are people that were created to live in community and live in friendship. You designed us this way. But relationship and friendship comes with beauty, but it also comes with pain and hardship. Give us wisdom. Give us grace. Give us patience to know how to navigate these friendships. Give us wisdom to know when we're the right person or not the right person to confront. Give us the words to say whenever we do engage. And God, we pray for transformation in our own lives and in the lives of our friends. Uh, be with these students, go with them throughout this week. Uh, let your grace and your peace be felt in their life in real ways uh, and bring them back here safely next week. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.